Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And so what we've been covering is the ABCs of character building. I've selected a character trait on each letter of the alphabet. A was availability, B was benevolence, and we take it all the way through. And you can see we're coming to the end of the alphabet. We're on letter V, which would be virtue. Next week will be wisdom. The week after that is X, and I really don't have a, a good character trait on X. And it's funny how you people have been emailing me. One of you said, well, why don't you just do Xerox and be a copy of Jesus? Well, that would be an exegetical stretch, but it is true. We should be like Christ. So I'm going to skip X, and then we'll end with zeal, and that will be a great conclusion. But I want to talk today about virtue. Now, when I begin this message on virtue, this one is especially close to home to every single one of us here because I'm going to be talking about virtue from the aspect of moral purity. Because we live in a world that is so bombarded with messages, screaming at us, technicolor, surround sound, people that we love even, are so much involved in moral impurity, it's easy for us to get some of that on us and in us and through us, and we live like that. And I'm saying that now to say this that you could be 18 inches away from someone right now in a clandestine way is living a morally impure life. And I know that Scripture says that for me to teach this, which I must do, and especially in today's culture because it's just like an avalanche coming at us, a huge mega wave hitting us, that I want to do it in love and, and meekness. Scripture says that I should teach this in meekness so that maybe you'll be rescued out of the snare of Satan's forces who would want you to remain in moral impurity and to deceive you. And so I come to you right now and I really love you. I am not beyond being touched by the temptations and the challenges that you have. But I want you to know that I have found truth. And I want to share this with you because I would like you to know on the other side of moral impurity is a wonderful world of joy. Yes, it's still a, a battle, but it's a battle that's winnable. And it's winnable for you no matter what your past defeated life could be. And I really do love you. And so what I'm going to ask you to do for just a moment, we've prayed, we've sung, but I want to go back to the Lord one more time because this message, when I begin to deliver it, I want to give it in passion. That's my personality. But I want it to be under the Spirit's conviction. And if I do it, I want to make sure that I set that scalpel very carefully and lovingly, letting you know that I'm really not here to condemn anyone. I'm here to perhaps rescue some. And I hope it would be you. Would you pray with me now? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I, I come before you now as humble as I know how to be, knowing that we've all struggled with the issues of moral purity in our life, and that, Father, our church is no different, and I have no one specific person or persons in mind. And, Father, this message is, is so pervasive throughout Scripture that we could be weeks on this topic. But, Lord, I think today would be good for us to just have this 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 brief bit of time. So I'm going to ask you in the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to deliver it in a kind but very convicting way. The Spirit of God would take the truth to the mind and the heart of the people. And that, Father, that you would bind Satan as the seed is now cast upon our hearts and minds. And that we would see great fruit immediately from today. Now, Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a question I'd like to ask you. If we just arrived from another planet, we're like a space alien, and we arrived here, perhaps even in Honolulu, in our own backyard, and we wanted to know about this whole concept of moral purity, and we wanted to discover what is virtue. 
Would we find it by just watching our television programs? Would we find it by clicking on a DVD or going to any of our movies? Would we find it by some of the music videos that we see? Would we see it by reading our magazines? Would we find virtue even in our society? And if you all had an opportunity to respond, you say, no, you're not going to find virtue in all those places. Not that you won't find little salt and pepper sprinkled virtues in there, but it's not really the message that's being sent. Now let's get a little bit closer to home. If we now landed as a space alien right here in our parking lot here on the poly, do you think our people would find virtue, those particular aliens, by looking at us right now and hearing us and going into our hearts? I don't know that. But I know God knows our own hearts and God wants us to be morally pure. And so today, although the message is on virtue, I'm going to open it up a little bit more to talk about moral purity. Now, when I was putting this part of moral purity together, my mind said, well, you know, because we live in a culture that people are now defining what moral purity is, a lot of people don't know what it is pure and what is impure. Maybe I should do that. And when I started to make the list, the first thing I learned from making my list was biblically how long that list really is. Because it deals with outward, it deals with in marriage, outside of marriage, it deals with your heart. So that list was long. The second thing is I began to do that list, and I will be quick to tell you, I didn't complete the list. It's because the longer I made that list, the more disgusted I felt, the more nauseous I felt as I started making this list. Now, I had nobody's name next to this list or any item on that list, but I started feeling like, man, this is... I need to think of whatsoever things are pure, not, not things that are impure, and it caused me to do that. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to let you in your maturity and your ability to step away from maybe some moral impurity you're doing in your life, your pride and your wanting to say, no, that's, that's okay, I can still get away with that. One illustration, like some teenagers and many adults think that uh, oral sex is acceptable because, you know, we really didn't do the deed, you know, and that's okay. And I want you to know all of that stuff falls underneath the camp of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And so let the Spirit of God speak to you about what it might be. But I think you'll know enough of it. Ann Landers gets thousands of letters from teenagers, and believe it or not, most of them actually concern how to handle the sexual temptations that they have in their life. One of the saddest came from a girl who wrote the following letter. It said, Dear Ann Landers, Dear Ann, I am 17 and already my life is messed up. Ted and I went steady for six months and we began to do things we had no right to do. I became pregnant. We both quit school and got married right away. My folks thought it would be best if we moved out of town, so we did. I despise my life and what I have done to Ted. The baby cries all the time and gets on Ted's nerves. He drinks too much and I can't blame him. We live in a dump and there is no money for sitters or movies or decent clothes. Ted never says anything, but I know he must hate me because I got him into this. I'm afraid he hates the baby too. He never pays attention to her. There are times when I think this is all a bad dream and I'll wake up at home and get dressed and go to school with the kids I like so much. But I know too well that those days are over to me and I'm stuck. I'm not writing for advice. It's too late for that. I'm just writing in the hope that you will print this letter for the benefit of other teenagers who think they know it all, like I did. Signed, wrecked at 17. Now in your outline, that's a very powerful letter, by the way, and it's a real letter and I have it documented. 
But in your outline, though, I wanted you to know a passage of verses, a whole, a whole battery of verses that the Lord speaks on moral purity. And so I've given you some from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I did that because some of you would like to maybe on your own look at those verses and see what they mean. So let me urge you to find a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you're going to find one in the chair in front of you, underneath the chair there, in that little rack. You take that, that Bible. You take it home. It's your Bible if you don't have one. And then you can easily find those references. But now what I'd like to do is to give you some definitions of what virtue is. Uh, not the list of what's in and out of the list, but what it basically means. To do that, I went to some secular writings. And even the Funkin' Wagnall's Death Dictionary says this, that virtue means moral righteousness and excellence. Isn't that interesting that even the world would define it that way? The first dictionary of the American language, the English language, was Noah Webster's. And he just simply said, what is virtue? Moral goodness. Well, I wanted then to go to the Bible, and so I went into some of the original languages, and I'm not going to wow you with how to pronounce them because that's not important. What is important for you is to understand what they mean. And I found something very interesting when I went to the Old Testament Hebrew. Here's a number of ways that that same Hebrew word is translated in the Bible underneath the umbrella of being virtuous. Here it is. It means, and this is interesting, might, strength, power, able, valiant, virtuous, of course, Valor, army, host, forces, riches, substance, wealth. And when you look at all of that, if I could kind of glump those those words, I come up to this area. One, a lot of words dealt with strength. A lot of it dealt with substance. So it's not some fleeting little emotion. And then finally it dealt with the idea of riches. In other words, it gave you positive benefits. Now I took that. And I looked through various passages to see if there was like a a train thing going on here. And here's what I found for men. For men, when it talked about being virtuous, it said to do valiantly. I thought that was interesting. Men who are willing to say no to the temptations of anything that would be morally impure. Whether it's an illicit affair physically or one done in your home on the computer with pornography. It says to do valiantly. It's the men who are willing to step up to the plate and man up. That's a valiant man. It's a tough struggle. Many men fail. But the valiant men are the ones who choose virtue. And then I went to the women. And this was really interesting because you'll find it in Ruth. And we know that we hear a lot about the women of strength in Ruth. But also Proverbs chapter 12 and 31. And it uses the word to do worthily. And in some translations it talked about to be strong. And I thought that was really interesting. Sometimes we paint women to be all lace instead of sometimes that they're blue denim and lace. And sometimes we think of women as being very um, weak, but really not. The virtuous woman is a woman who had great strength. And generally speaking, strength of character. Specifically speaking, strength of moral purity. And so we know that when we see that two people are falling, often that there are two people involved in this thing, so it really requires perhaps both of them to be strong valiant, full of substance, rich with the right choices to be morally pure. So that's now telling me that God spoke to both sexes that perhaps the responsibility of moral purity falls in either camp. Vines in the New Testament really simplifies it by just simply saying moral goodness, just being morally good. And I like the way that it's simple because sometimes we make, so much techni- we make it so technical that we try to find a technical flaw to get out of it when this one just said Big stroke, moral goodness. You know what it is. Just do it. 
And now I'd like to submit to you a definition you might want to work with your young people, and you can massage this a little bit. So virtue would be simply this. Being morally good while living with standards of purity. Being morally good, generally speaking, but also having standards of purity. Now, it's not fully defined in there, but it's a general definition of what moral purity would be. So how is virtue illustrated in Scripture? Well, obviously, you can go to the New Testament because every character trait that we have taught here came from the life of Christ. And there's a purpose for that when I taught these character traits is because since we want to have the character of Christ, then we need to find Christ's character, characteristics, lived out where we could read them. Well, I tried to find all the times where Jesus Christ was tempted with a woman. I don't see that. Times he was tempted to maybe do something that would be morally impure with a man. I didn't see that. He didn't talk a great deal about it. And here's the conclusion that I have come. That Jesus Christ personified in everything that he said, everything that he did, and perhaps every thought that he had, that he was the personification of moral purity. Now what's interesting about that is this. Even though he was morally pure, Scripture clearly screams at us that he was tempted in every area. Let's now make it specific. He was tempted in every area known to man at that time to be morally impure, and he never went into that temptation. He never slipped into that temptation. Which now tells me he did that to show us that we too will be tempted by every temptation. Now, frankly, folks, I don't believe there is any new sin of moral impurity today than there was in those days. The difference would be they had not the same media that we have today to mainline into our eyes and ears, into our brain, through our ears, through our eyes, right there, technicolor, surround sound, to just mainline that sewer water into us that we have today. But it was all around him. Now, here's what I'm saying. Jesus Christ, pure, all that came to him, he withstood that temptation and didn't yield. Now, I'm going somewhere with that. Every character trait that we have studied is found in Christ. When you've accepted Christ as Savior, you didn't merely accept a theology about who Christ is. Otherwise, it could be just dead orthodoxy. But what we have done is we've accepted the person of Christ who died on the cross, rose again, and all that came with him comes to us. And we learn that through theology that comes through Scripture, but it's the personal relationship we have with Christ. So that means now Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. So who lives inside of me is a morally impure God. I'm a partaker of a morally pure nature of God. So that means that like Christ, when I have temptations flung at me, and today more so, especially in Honolulu, and we want to go to Waikiki and all the beaches and every place that we see, it just seems like the mainland people, they come here and they leave their clothes on the mainland and they, they, they walk and dress and do things that they'd never do in mainline Nebraska. You know what I'm saying. And it's all around us. Yet within us we have Christ, which means we have... Besides the power, we have the potential to resist the temptation to become morally impure. We cannot resist maybe being tempted. Maybe we have more reasons or more opportunities to be tempted, but we have Christ in us. So now my question is this. Why is it so that since it happens, whether we understand it or not, that when we trust Christ, His nature comes inside of us, His spiritual power comes... Why is it so many pastors that fall, Christian leaders that fall... Perhaps Christians who are in places of influence that probably have a greater reason not to fall, for whether it's politics or business or military or wherever. It doesn't, why is it that? I'm going to submit to you three perhaps little windows of why it might happen. All right, here's number one. 
allowing ourselves to be deceived. That's what could cause moral impurity. We allow ourselves to be deceived. Chuck Swindoll wrote many years ago the following sentence, and I really liked it, and maybe it'll bless you. It says this about deception. He said, deception is almost, excuse me, deception is an almost passive series of thoughts which include rationalization, ignoring the warnings of a sensitive conscience, the consistent erosion of one's walk with Christ, and tolerating things that we once thought were intolerable. Now listen to that quote again. That is an important quote. Listen to it. It's a passive series of thoughts. In other words, it just kind of happens. It includes we rationalize about it. We ignore the warnings from our conscience that should already give us a kind of a bell ringing. The consistent erosion of our walk with Christ. And then finally we're tolerating things that we didn't tolerate before. And those of us now are old enough to remember when we watched television in the 50s and 60s and we saw families together and the husband and wife would actually, if they were seen in a bedroom and they were seen in bed, they were seen in bed generally fully clothed and in separate beds even. And look at it today and I'm not going to go there. And so we now seem to say, this is okay, this is okay. And why is it? Why are we so easily tempted? This is very simple. I don't know if you can see this, but inside my chest beats a heart. And I know that's an organ. But above that heart is another organ called, called my brain. and So I have my emotions and my soul and my thinking right here. So all of this right here, the Bible says, my heart, my thinking, my being is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. So within me, with the same nature of the new nature, I still have a deceitful heart in me. And it's choosing to deceive me. Scripture also says two different times, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And it was not speaking to those who were not on their journey with Christ yet. They were on their discovery journey with Christ. It was actually spoken to those people like you and me. Implying now, listen carefully. Even though we have Christ in the Bible and all this kind of stuff, we have a great propensity to be deceived. It all goes back to the heart. And that's why we have to keep it. Because out of it are the issues of life. So deception. The second is choosing to enjoy moral impurity. That causes it. Some of us really enjoy it. And it's going to be a little bit of exciting. Now, I don't want to get too technical on this, but maybe I could speak from a medical doctor's point of view. And, 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 and as I explain this, I don't want, to, I don't want you to think it's not, it, that it's only restricted to sexual sin. It's a lot of other things. But let's talk about this. Satan makes sex out of the proper context, moral impurity, a bit of excitement. It causes our mind to begin to, ooh, this is cool. Our adrenaline starts kicking in, so now we have to fight not only our thinking, but a gland inside of us that shoots chemicals through our system that really wants to OD on that, not so much the sex, but the feeling that the adrenaline gives us for more. And so we have to have more and more and more and more and more. And there's a pleasure in this thing. There's a, there's a fake, a, 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 a virtual um, euphoria with this, but not a real one. Because also crashing against all of that is our spirit that is saying, no, stop, wrong, hit the brakes. Now we've got that struggle going on. Listen to the last part of Galatians 5. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, all underneath the umbrella of moral impurity. Interesting, isn't that? Here's the second reason, and that is that we've left the counsel of God. For whatever has happened, we have now ceased to be underneath the counsel of God. Now, some of you, you hear that old school saying, you've ceased going to church. 
Well, I don't want to put that down, folks. Some of those uh, old-time Christians, they really had it together. Because sitting in church often would, whether your mind drifted back and forth, whether you had, an all, had a right attitude all the time, you still heard in right churches the word being taught. So at least you got some of the word. But that isn't the end of it. Some people make church going the end of the whole thing. And actually, that's just kind of a come alongside as a kind of a healthy, holistic thing there. But really, it's when you and I choose to sit underneath the authority of the word that it's speaking to us. Now, listen to this passage. Proverbs 5 says, this is, this is huge, coming from the Bible. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life. In other words, if you don't realize the lifestyle that she has and the danger of it, it says, her ways are unstable. You don't even know them. Now, here's the point. Therefore, hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Now, let's exegete that. Solomon is writing this. Unfortunately, he didn't often live that, but he wrote that. And so some people could say, well, that's dad's letter to his son, making sure the son lived right. There's a bigger picture here. God the Holy Spirit put that on the heart of Solomon, put it into the canon of Scripture so that we have it today. So this is God's Word speaking about the immoral woman, what she's like, and the warning that the man ought to follow God's teaching here. Listen to the voice of your father. In this case, it would be your father God. And if you do that, underneath that banner, then we'll be all right. But those who don't put themselves under that, that's one of the causes, even as a Christian. We're so easily deceived, and we don't put ourselves underneath the counsel of God's Word. But there's one more. This one seems to be the one that's, uh, that gets us the most. We are not always disciplined right away. Sometimes because we do it, hey, that's okay, that's, that's okay, that's, 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 that's okay so far, no problem. Listen to the verse. Because sentence against an evil work, that's just, that's general, specific. Because sentence against moral impurity is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. We live in perilous times now economically. We need every blessing of God. We need absolutely every prayer answered in our life. And those of us who are older, we need every way to connect to the Lord. And if we regard iniquity in our heart, then He will not hear us. And so if you're struggling financially or fitness or relationship, could it be that you are regarding moral impurity in your heart, if not at least in your outward life? And God has been spanking you. And He is executing a sentence with you right now. And He's doing it in love and grace and mercy, hoping you'll hear His little bell. He's calling you up. I hope to be the case. And I have nobody in mind, but just think about that. Well, what are the consequences of moral impurity? Because some of you still say, it's okay so far. Everybody else does it. I see them running around. He's watching pornography. They're doing it. It's not so bad. I, I can get away with it right now. Let me quickly go through these. What are the consequences of moral impurity? You'll never get away with sin. It will come out in your life. First of all, it'll enslave you. Once you start in on this thing, you've got to have more, got to have more. You have to feed the monster is what I call it. You have to feed the beast. It says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. So it's not so much the sex, it's the person who's bringing you the sex and all that other stuff. So now you have what we call a codependency relationship. You have a fatal attraction thing going on. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's just, that's just a small little part of a bigger picture of enslavement. Number two, it shatters lives. Consequence of moral impurity, it shatters lives. What moral impurity could cost you and me? First of all, I wrote down here for myself, the total devastation your sinful actions will bring to your children is immeasurable. The younger you are, it will affect. Your kids will hear about it. I don't know how it will come out. It will affect them forever. Next, the embarrassment of facing other Christians who once appreciated you, respected you, trusted you will be overwhelming. Your fall will give others the license to do the same. Your mate will immediately be isolated by most of those who once stood near her or him. Guilt, shame, and rejection he or she is sure to feel will accompany the anguish and loneliness and embarrassment. And for you, no amount of repentance will soften those blows. It'll get you on the right track, so work in that direction of changing your mind and your thinking, but it's, that's not enough. You will set in motion a generational chain reaction. The sins of the father passed down the next generation. The heartache you will cause to your parents, your family, your peers, your mentors, and those of you that are in some form of ministry, even lay leadership, those that you're discipling. It'll be terrible. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.